Tuesday night edition of the show. Got some interesting pre-draft scuttlebutt to get to. More on the Kawhi situation as Danny mutes himself for the entire time. Just kidding. And then we want to get into a few more guys that we're going to do some quicker hitters on. Guys who are kind of falling more into the mid-lottery mid first round range we'll actually do an interesting format here i think we'll just put 10 minutes on the clock and talk about each player for exactly 10 minutes let's start though Kawhi leonard met with greg popovich in san diego where leonard is not quite from but is currently working out jabari young was told that Kawhi popovich did meet and it was a good conversation jabari young is the local guy typically the local guy is the one who's a little bit more likely to be getting stuff from the team side. And Woj and Ramona Shelburne co-wrote a piece discussing the meeting. Uh, Sam Amick said that the meeting had been planned for a long time on this day and it had nothing to do with the trade request in particular. But then the ESPN piece, probably the most damning from the Spurs standpoint, apparently Leonard, this is direct quotation from the piece, Leonard had told confidants that he did not want to sit down with Popovich and has been purposefully difficult for the Spurs to reach recently. Among the issues, Leonard is angry over what he believes was the Spurs' mishandling of a quad injury and remains irate with public comments out of teammate Tony Parker and Popovich that he felt were not supportive of him. Quick aside, good to see noted awesome teammate tony parker making an appearance here who the complete ridiculousness of him making those comments about how his injury was a thousand times worse and just implying that Kawhi needed to suck it up and play just that's probably the most stupid thing in this entire saga if they do decide to keep Kawhi, it'd be interesting to see whether parker remains a teammate as well but what's your reaction to all this now anything new out of here that we need to talk about not particularly i mean it's not surprising that a meeting of these two happened at some point. It's been widely reported that Popovich and Kawhi still have a good relationship. Popovich went to, I'm sorry, Kawhi went to Popovich's late wife's private memorial service and, you know, interacted with Spurs people, including, of course, Popovich there. And I mean, they have a close relationship. It's the only coach that Kawhi's ever had in the NBA. And it's good that they did this before the draft. I Some have read into this that, oh, it means that there's a resolution more quickly. I don't yeah. necessarily J- think Jabari so. Jabari specifically think this is just said a, in his tweet that he's expecting more dialogue in the future. Yeah, I, I think that it's just, it's good to have that kind of base point and have an understanding of where things are. But I don't think this is just like, hey, expect a trade on, on Thursday. It's possible, just like it was possible before this meeting happened. So... I think it is interesting to get a little bit more color on things that we expected were some of the issues that Kawhi is having with the Spurs. I'm not surprised by that. I, you know, and as I've said this numerous times, mostly in regards to free agency, at a certain point, it doesn't necessarily matter whether an individual's opinions are based in reality, if they're justified or whatever, because it's their feelings that matter. And I'm not saying Kawhi is not justified here. I'm just saying that sometimes people focus on the legitimacy of feelings and the legitimacy just doesn't really matter here. And I I thought that like Kevin Durant's stuff should have changed that for people, but it hasn't. And so it doesn't matter if if Kawhi doesn't think they're a championship contender, doesn't matter if other people shout it from the rooftops. If that's how he feels, that's all that matters. Yeah. And we, Jalen Rose really is the only person to say that that's really kind of what it's about. You know, that was way back in like February when the whispers really first started to arise that there was some unhappiness there but you know, it wouldn't shock me if that weren't part of it also noteworthy from the Woj and Ramona piece is the idea that Kawhi does want to go to the Lakers they continue also said in there is the idea that Kawhi or, or that the Spurs do not want to trade him 
to the Lakers, but then also from Kawhi that teams that are trading for him will be told that it is is his intention to sign in 2019 with the Lakers. Now that was not quite as vehement with Paul George. And actually, there's been some reporting that Paul George might re-sign in Oklahoma City, amazingly enough. But we'll see what happens with the, the Lakers situation. Much to happen between now and then. But, you know, all of that is really bad for the Spurs, basically. I mean, the, the idea that he w- is going to tell these teams that he wouldn't consider re-signing, you're just going to get much worse in a package for him and and maybe that stance is something that could enable a lakers package presumably centered or or, you know they've got those four young guys ball ingram kuzma josh hart and they have uh, all their future picks going forward after this year that that's what that would have to be centered around probably and that's not the sexiest package i think philly and boston can both beat that but will they want to feeling like this might just be a one-year rental yeah it's going to be a wild set of negotiations and the lakers you know their whole dynamic changes based on what happens with a guy like paul george if they have enough space to sign Kawhi next summer I, I think they're going to play hardball with the spurs just be like well why are we going to give him away why are we going to give you all these assets now and make ourselves a worse team for Kawhi if we're just going to get him next year and also the longer the spurs wait theoretically the in certain circumstances the price from other suitors could go down so be like hey you know like you're, it's not like you're giving up so much or, or that you're getting these great offers so they might start lowballing i'm fascinated to see where this goes and the 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 kind of power forces in play here are different than Kyrie's primarily because of the one year part of this yeah because Kawhi can be a straight rental Kyrie was two years first of all that's a lot more time two playoff runs though he ended up missing the first of those two but also just that's enough time in certain circumstances to convince a player who might have been reluctant to sign with you in the first place that okay this is a good situation you know two years there's a lot more that can happen in that than one year where it's a a bad injury or anything else can totally sidetrack your pursuits i don't know that i'm advocating this but something to consider here is if he signs that designated player veteran extension he can't be traded for a year but if you're the spurs and they might want to say well we're we're not going to offer him that he doesn't want to be here but you can still trade him after a year and he's he's under team control for five years after that you're going to get a much better package for him if of course he remains healthy which is a question mark a year from now with him on that contract than you would right now uh, most likely now it's high risk high reward because if he's not healthy or and he has a bad year or he mopes his way around and his trade value goes down but you have to imagine even if he's kind of just you know looks healthy but doesn't play well and is annoyed or whatever that his trade value would still be higher next summer than it would be now now that contract is massive not saying i'm advocating that especially with his health uncertain but it's something that you might consider there is that you know just because you sign in that contract doesn't mean he has to stay in the spurs all the time and maybe there's a scenario in which his trade value could be higher next summer on that contract signed for the next five years uh than it would be as of right now it would also theoretically open up other suitors which is not necessarily something Kawhi would necessarily want to hear but locking in that money would certainly be it would it would have some value to him i'm not saying it's necessarily what he's prioritizing it seems like he's open to leaving that money on the table but it's an interesting idea more draft intrigue although first uh, let's do a quick read here and we'll get to that i want to tell you about candid which makes the process of straightening your teeth convenient and easy they make clear liners that are sent directly to your home and they're customized specifically for you to straighten your teeth my fiance has started the process and it was really outstanding service through the process of actually creating the impressions for your teeth you know you go to the dentist's office and they put that putty 
into those big trays and then make a model of your teeth and that's you know what you would do to get normal braces which generally cost far more than candid candid is actually 65 percent less than braces and it's just you can take it out to eat they're clear so people don't really notice them when you have them in you know it's really just a, a much superior process to braces and so i actually did a video call with her talked her through the entire alignment process i'm sorry i should say the entire modeling process took about 25 minutes or so i would say and then you're done so it's easier than actually having to go to the orthodontist or the dentist to get that done and now she is eagerly awaiting the aligners so she can get started you too can take advantage of candid's risk-free modeling kit guarantee and when you use my dedicated link candidco dot com that's candidco.com slash cap space you can save 25 percent on your modeling kit and of course let them know that you came from us that's candidco.com candidco.com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space we talk about all the time on the program to get 25 percent off the price of your modeling kit candidco.com slash cap space so we've got some intrigue here at the top of the draft big news out of atlanta who had for a long time been linked with marvin bagley then now with Bagley being talked about going number two to Sacramento, part of the reason for that is that no other of the top prospects have been willing to go to Sacramento and work out or give their medicals to the Kings. And Bagley has. He wants to go as high in the draft as possible, uh, apparently. So with Bagley potentially off the board, supposedly, this is the tweet from Woj, Luka Doncic is moving to the forefront of Atlanta's internal conversations for the third pick which is a little interesting to me because you know wouldn't you have kind of had this figured out a while ago and i mean i guess the idea that bagley could go to and Doncic won't and, and the kings are zeroing in on bagley whether that's true or not that could change your thinking but th- this idea that all of a sudden you're like oh yeah i guess i guess uh Doncic would be the better pick that seems just a little bit fishy to me I- i'm quite sure that Woj is being told that gavoni said the same thing that he's hearing that as well but it does seem like the type of thing like you know we're hearing that teams might want to move up for Doncic. Uh, it was stated on a podcast that, that Gavoni was on that the bad teams don't really like Doncic and the good teams love him. <laughs> so maybe one of those good teams is trying to move up and perhaps this is the Hawks attempting to put a little urgency into the idea that they're going to take Doncic and oh you better trade up for us and offer us more in a trade package. I always put some skepticism on these sorts of report, not not on the reporters, but on on the idea, because there are two directly conflicting ideas and I have no way of discerning which one of them it is. So one is this is the genuine truth. This is how they feel that yeah. Doncic is actually there. I think Doncic is a good enough player that they could certainly believe this. I mean, I think Doncic would be a very good pick for them. Yeah, they, but then of course they, they should take Doncic. The Kings should take Doncic. I, I mean, I, yeah, I feel that like, way, obviously. Okay, this is yeah. a good call. And so, and so then the other part is just the the posturing. And a lot of times you see this with a player who is drawing interest. It happens in all sports. It happens, you know, with with varying players where a team acts like they want this guy because you want all roads to lead through you. Because if all roads lead through you, theoretically, that increased variance in getting more offers leads to something you want. And with Atlanta. It's possible because we've heard even stuff about them moving up from lower in the draft because they have, I think it's 16 as well. So, and 30, of course. So 
maybe they're just looking at somebody more in that seven to nine range. And so they could either move up to get there, they could move down to get there. And Schlenk doing his due diligence wouldn't surprise me at all. So it makes me more interested in how the top of this draft goes, but I'm I'm skeptical as well. Yeah, and I do think that Doncic is the best guy in the draft. And if he's there at three, they could, should take him. But there are, I think, some pretty good players who are going to be available further down trey young is mocked to go 12 right now by the way, which i think is uh i mean who knows we're, we're we've been wrong a million times on this stuff but but all we can do is watch the film and do the best we can and give you our opinion and my opinion is that 12 would be a little low for trey young but more news of players kind of taking control of things and it's interesting that this is happening now because we've seen basically the top four teams are all like total sad sack franchises that got these picks. And it was kind of, that's what the lottery was kind of uninteresting because these teams were just going to get these picks and it wasn't really going to make much of a difference in the shape of the league right away, you felt. But now, I mean, we have not seen, I mean, it's really been since Steve Francis in 1999 that a player got drafted and straight up said, no, I'm not going to play there. Trade me teams i think that's just so embarrassing at this point and that, that's part of what was talked about with sacramento wanting bagley too is just avoiding when he was talking about this on a pod yesterday avoiding the potential embarrassment of someone not wanting to go there you know because bagley wants to go there i mean which is just doesn't seem like a great idea and and you should probably just take the guy that you want and you know say that hey we can sell you on our culture um yeah well well because it's a chapter or part of a chapter in my book I feel like I have to mention here that Stephen Curry did not work out with the Warriors and yeah, it's he wanted to go to New clear, York though he's never said it. he wanted to go to New York the Warriors are like he's our guy anyway took him because they thought he was the best player and they were right not saying that's always true but if that's the reason you're not taking somebody and you think that the other guy is the better prospect that's concerning. Yeah, and I've maintained that more players should be even more aggressive about this stuff than they are. And it appears that Mo Bamba is getting there. He straight up told the Grizzlies front office he doesn't want to play there. And they, of course, have not given any medicals to Memphis. Bamba doesn't have really much of an injury history that I'm aware of. I mean, I, I love him doing that. Why not use as much leverage as you have? And I think for Memphis, especially with all these big guys, number one, they've got Marcus Gasol there, and they're still talking about him being a big part of the franchise for a while. So if you're a big, why do you want to go to Memphis at four? And then five, six, and seven all have holes at center where you could potentially come in and start right away. I mean, Orlando, at least it's kind of, you know, it's in Orlando. Dallas is considered a good franchise. The Bulls, that's a big market. And both of those teams are young, probably have a better future than Memphis because they've started the rebuilding a little bit earlier. And you're not going to be blocked by this all-star starting center who's like Mr. Grizzly. And the speculation now, which I totally agree with, is Memphis hadn't really apparently engaged that much on trade talks with number four, believing that Doncic might be there. And with that being the case now that perhaps Doncic could be gone at three do they start thinking more about well all these bigs don't want to play here those are the guys who are in this range it really makes more sense to try and trade down now and you know if there are teams that want to get in and, and get one of those bigs you know and then you know Michael Porter I mean he's he is I, I think his medicals have been shared with every team that was the reporting as I recall but he's another guy who maybe just would be a fit there in theory but you know especially with him potentially needing a redshirt year and coming off this back injury and i don't know if you've heard danny but uh there's no reason why memphis can't win 50 games next year so uh they just continue to reap what they've sown here in just refusing to accept the reality of rebuilding and 
whether that's players not wanting to go there whether it's players being blocked whether it's just not having a good enough future whether it's your owner spending like one day a year in memphis it's not looking good for the grizzlies right now we'll see who they end up getting if they get Doncic, you know i'll uh i'll retract what i'm saying the only other piece that of news that i think we we should definitely get to is the reporting i think the first place i saw was sportando about the clippers not keeping milos Tadosic partially due to injury concerns. And so then that leads to the question, because Tadosic has this unusual structure where he has a player option that is only partially guaranteed for about $2.1 million, if memory serves, of whether he should opt in or not. Let's say that's true, because he could have a lot more choice in the matter, but it doesn't guarantee, like, the, the real changeover isn't until mid-July. So how does he feel about playing chicken with the Clippers and the free agent market? Well, and yeah, I mean, he, he if he opts in, he gets his $2 million. But then his guaranteed date is July 15th. Can he get the Clippers to let him out of that earlier? Could he sacrifice some money to let the but still get some maybe to let the Clippers let the him out Karan earlier? The Butler uh, but, opt in and then try to get out as fast yeah, as you can. Because I'm, now, of course, July 15th, who knows wh- when LeBron James is going to make his decision. There might actually be plenty of money available. Or, he, of course, he could always just go back to Europe. I would say he probably should just opt in. Um, you know, Unless he can work out a deal with them where he, he opts in and then they reduce the guarantee on his contract by you know and buy him out essentially and buy him out as of the start of the free agent period i mean there are definitely teams that i think could really use him apparently a part of the issue according to sportano which is one of the best uh european news sites is that they're worried that his plantar fascia issues are, are not necessarily going to be resolved so that that's part of it but uh you know, I still think he can, he can help a team if he's healthy, but I think you probably opt in at that point. If you know they're getting rid of you, yeah, do the Karan Butler and get that $2.1 million guaranteed. And, you know, if you have to go back to Europe, you can do it with $2.1 million in your pocket. All right, who do you want to talk about first here on uh, our list of guys? Let's go with Kevin Knox partially because I'm maybe the most interested in, because you and I don't, we've done this thing, especially this year, where we don't talk about these guys at all. I'm the most interested to see if we agree on him because I have a feeling we might not. Yeah, he's someone, let me start the clock here real quick. He's someone who is a struggle for me. The fact that he's 18 is good. Great measurements, you know, nine foot standing reach. Not a nuclear athlete, but a very solid one. Alley-oop threat. And also, it's a pretty nice stroke. You know, I, I think that was probably what has improved the most for me since seeing him at the Hoop Summit. So you really like all that stuff. And maybe he's a guy that you take just thinking, hey, he's so young. He's got size. He's got versatility. He's athletic. And he can shoot the ball. And we're just going to teach him how to play basketball. But he really needs to learn how to play basketball. And that's exactly why I'm uncomfortable with Knox. And I, at one point, I actually, so I have a good measure of how frustrating a prospect is for me is how much profanity in all caps is in my notes. And Kevin Knox has more profanity in all caps in my notes than any player that we've gone through. And the one that drove me completely crazy was that at at a certain point, every time he put the ball on the floor, I just went, oh God, what now? Because he, it's not that he's necessarily bad in those circumstances. It's just that bad things keep happening. <laughs> like he will throw a floater up off the bat, throw the floater up off it, or he'll, you know, dribble the ball and it'll go to go to somebody on the other team or something like that. And I, I understand the appeal of Knox in the sense that if it works out for him, okay, six foot nine guy, seven foot wingspan, has a nice jump shot, theoretically could be a versatile defender, isn't, but theoretically could be. And so those guys are incredibly valuable. Whether you think of him as a three or a four, I think of him more as a four just because of his mode. I, I, I don't I don't love him moving or guarding guys on the perimeter. But 
I would let somebody else take that risk. It's not that I think he's bad or that I think he's not going to make it in the NBA. It happens for me when I'm like, let's say five to eight spots below a lot of other people. I go, okay, that doesn't mean the guy's going to suck. It just means they're not for me. And that's kind of where I am with Kevin. Yeah, he's being currently mocked as number nine by ESPN to the Knicks. That seems a little high for me. I mean, he's basically, he's not going to be good anytime soon. His defense is not good at all, I thought. You know, I mean, really, for him to be the type of player worthy of that pick, I mean, he's got to be a two-way player. You know, he just has almost zero toughness to his game right now and doesn't rebound, never blocks a shot. With um, Now, worth noting, of course, that his situation at Kentucky, like for so many, was kind of crazy. I mean, he was basically playing the two there. He's playing next to Hamadou Diallo, who's a non-shooter, two traditional bigs pretty much at all times, and then uh, Shai uh, Gilgis-Alexander, who we'll probably talk about tomorrow, who's, you know, an okay standstill shooter, but not a great shooter. I mean, he was by far the best shooter on the team. Um, and, and anytime he tried to put the ball on the floor, you know, he's just going into a crowd. Uh, a few other just kind of smaller notes on him. You know, he's not really an amazing finisher. You know, he's got this beautiful floater game, which I, I think could be useful. You know, if he wants to come off screens, they ran him off screens a lot. You know, if he needs to curl into the lane. But if he's contested all at the rim, his solution is just jump as high as I can and then float the ball up in the air as high as I can. You know, he's not really getting to the foul line. He's not having power finishes. Um, You know, he can post up a, a little bit. I mean, I think he could be a very versatile offensive player. How good his feel will be is a question mark. I mean, it's just, you know, I think he could be just much better on offense. But not only the lack of feel, but kind of the lack of toughness really stood out for me. Again, very young. I, I totally understand taking him maybe just a little bit lower. Uh, but, he, you know, he's kind of a risky. I mean, he reminds me of, you know, I think he could kind of be more in that Kelly Oubre late lottery type of range. You know, he's definitely way more skilled than Oubre at the same age. But, you know, I didn't think his feet were particularly quick. And, you know, just a, a lack of toughness. You know, if you're thinking, oh, six nine, nine foot standing reach, like, here we go, combo four, this guy can shoot it. Like, eh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe with tools he can get there eventually, but I, I don't foresee him being a plus defensively for quite some time. Agreed. And something that bothered me with Knox, and some of this certainly can be coaching, and all, you talked about all the scheme stuff, which I think affected him more on offense than defense, but it is still there. Knox overhelped so much defensively. Like, there was a play that drove me insane where he helped off Svee Mihaljuk, who, if you know one thing about him, you know that he can and will shoot. He just helped off him, but not to help on a driver, not to do anything else. He just moved closer to where other things were happening and left his guy open in the near corner. And you can't do that. You know, your job might not be fun, but your job is to make sure that guy doesn't get an open corner from the corner. And I, you know, there are certain guys who who overhelp out of enthusiasm and there are certain guys who overhelp out of, I guess you'd call it lack of of feel, lack of basketball IQ. I think he's more in the latter realm of that. You can coach that out of him. I mean, playing with better teammates, communication, a lot of those things can help, but he doesn't have that. And then as an, as kind of a one-on-one defender, I didn't see a lot that I really liked, especially when he was on smaller guys, they would, they could just get by him. So he could be much better than he is. I think that it could take some time, but I mean, that, that's a, it's a lot of, play. I, I could actually see Kevin Knox being a very intriguing second draft guy in like 2020 or 21. If that team just gets frustrated, if he hasn't put it together by that point and you go, okay, we can figure it out from here. A few other notes on it. We've got a couple minutes left. I was actually positively impressed because I, I kind of had an impression with a, of him at the hoop zone. I mean, his touch was okay, but he took a lot of really bad long twos and again, just showed kind of no feel uh, for offensive basketball and what a good shot was. But I thought the, his shot really looks a lot better. 
this year that floater was something i had no idea that he had and shows signs of having a very quick first step at times can even get going and pick and roll on occasion to his right slight changes of speeds get the guy in his hip i mean it's not operating and like getting the guy in his back and crossing over but it was showing the ability to, to be a handler there to some degree he's got a pull-up jump shot off the dribble he's got that floater game didn't see a ton of, from a passing standpoint so i think he actually you know is a guy who could evolve into think of him as kind of like you know a little bit more athletic of a tobias harris type of scorer and he still has some defensive potential but you know he's a little bit of like a tabula rasa at this point of like all right if you see enough things to like in him that you can ignore the bad stuff go ahead and take him but you know it's not just too many flaws for me at this point uh, you know, also was just totally inefficient again, in part due to the situation. Uh, but just too many flaws to me to take him uh, in the top ten, especially in this draft. Which you know, we haven't looked at all these guys yet, but I, I think there are some guys that I like better than him overall. But certainly could be an excellent player. To, I'm not foreclosing on that in the slightest. All right, that was only eight minutes. Okay, you, I'll give you anything th- else to say. We, we, yeah, we get that's the first time we've ever like run out. Of well, I'll go, I'll go through his basic oh, yeah. stat. I'll yeah, go through yeah, his yeah, basic stats. That's good. That's good. Uh, 17 PER, which is which 55% is terrible shooting. for like a, a high end draft prospect. 17 PER, and also because he gets because he because he gets no rebounds. That doesn't that doesn't exactly help. Yeah. Um, and 556 true shooting, uh, 20 24.5 usage. So you know not as high as some of these guys, but higher than a couple. R- low assist percentage 8, 8.7. But again, we've talked about some of their issues. 3.3 percent offensive rebound, 14.5 defensive rebound. Yeah, yeah. 14.5 defensive oh, and rebound 34... is terrible considering he's playing the two. No defensively essentially a lot of the time but yeah, yeah i mean he, he doesn't make oh. any of the effort plays that you would expect offensive rebounds you know blocking shots tracking down loose balls i mean that just is was not there for him at all and then the other part uh 34 on threes on 4.5 attempts per game 77 percent from the line on 4.4 free throw attempts per game yeah and again not really a power finisher got to the line okay but yeah so all right that, that's good on him let's move on now all right, so you got your money's worth. That was nine minutes and 15 seconds before we take out any silences. Let's move now to, I actually hadn't seen any video on this guy before I started looking at him, but uh, Zanan Musa, D-Z-A-N-A-N Musa, uh, out of playing with Croatia, or Sedevita in Croatia. I think that what occurred to me about him is that he kind of reminded me in terms of his game and his body a little bit of like a European Rodney Hood. What do you think of that comparison? I'm okay with it. What I thought what he reminded me of was for the when he played on a middle school team and the coach's son was also the best player on the team, so they let him do kind of whatever he wanted to do. But he was actually a pretty good player. That's kind of what Musa was on on Sedevita. The reason I compared him to a European Rodney Hood is six eight, but you know six eight wingspan and really did not show much length at all defensively i mean i think he's really a guy who's going to struggle to guard most any position in the nba but he's too skinny he's only 200 pounds it doesn't really have the type of frame where i see him getting much above 210 so if he really has to guard the other team's bigger wings it's going to go pretty poorly he can't get any kind of a contest against smaller players with those short arms so i mean i think he's probably gonna have to just be hidden if he plays but a lot of stuff that you really like offensively uh, not a power finisher at the rim you know he doesn't i mean he's not quite the two foot jumper that rodney hood is but uh doesn't get a lot of explosiveness but really nice touch uh and he can work off the dribble and pick and roll him mean, he's got a really nice handle for a six eight guy you know he'll go behind the back he can 
crossover likes to get to his left extremely efficient isolation player 1.07 points per possession which is outstanding and then uh shot 53 percent e-field goal pulling up off the dribble for jumpers in pick and roll and was comfortable pulling up from outside of the european three-point line in pick and roll off the dribble also a really really nice floater game either off a of one or two feet which it helps make up a little bit for the fact that he's probably not going to be able to get all the way to the rim and really finish against a shot blocker in the NBA. 37 out of 80 on runners, and he's played you know 71 games. They played in the Croatian League. They played in the in the Adriatic League. They played in the Euro Cup, and and was able to maintain his statistics at all three of those levels of competition. Euro Cup is kind of a notch below the Euro League. So I mean, he's got a lot of skill. I mean, 90 points in 95 isolation possessions overall. I mean. The, and at 19 this is now his third year playing for set of Vita, so he's got a lot of experience now playing you know in a professional league and was getting minutes even going back to when he was 17 i was very impressed by his skill level i just you know you wonder you know, he's not going to be like a primary creator and so you wonder about with some of his athletic limitations the defense not really being able to play with force he's not really going to be able to switch uh, you unless he just gets way stronger which just doesn't seem in the cards with his body type particularly and just generally european guys a lot of times just don't make the kind of strides if they're like playing for their national team all summer and getting run into the ground from a body perspective so i just wonder about his ultimate role in the nba but the skill level for his age is impressive it is and i'll echo a lot of what she said but focus on on other elements to use our time and one thing that was a positive in Europe, but I don't think is going to translate, is that he drew a lot of fouls, and he took about four free throw attempts per game, made 80% of those. 80% is definitely good, but a lot of them were calls that just won't happen in the NBA, where you kind of drive into a crowd and get a call. It doesn't happen as much, especially if you're not at the the higher end of, of the league, which I don't think Musa would be, at least immediately. So that's concerned. You brought up something that I, I with the pull-ups, which I think is, is interesting with him, and I, I wrote this in my notes. I said, I like him better as a catch-and-shoot guy, but the margin between catch-and-shoot and, and pull-up is closer than for most guys, and that is a very positive thing for Musa because you want that margin to be close if you have a good jump shot because then the teams have to respect it. I don't think he's going to have nearly as many opportunities with the ball in his hands, but that threat is valuable. And second units in particular, if that's where he ends up, I'm not saying he has to, but if he ends up there, they need shot creation in the worst way and he could help with that. Yeah, and I think he's a capable passer out of pick and roll as well. Had not a ton of assists, but about two assists a game in 23 minutes across all competition this year. So that's not ridiculous, but he can throw some passes on occasion. He'll move the ball. He's also an excellent cutter. Uh, which so playing off the ball and then he's capable of coming off of screens and and knocking down shots even three-pointers which again i mean for this is a 22 foot three-pointer for a guy who just turned 19 this or in may that's really impressive Uh, again with the skill level i mean and and he's got a lot of interesting dribble moves that you know i'm not sure that's going to work against the best nba defenders i I think he's going to be more of a guy who has to kind of you know he'd be very useful ironically enough in like a utah and atlanta boston type of system where you can throw in the ball and he's got a little bit of an advantage catches the ball on the move against the closeout you know i think he can be pretty effective in that situation i just i wish he could play with a little more force he's just a little bit better physically i just don't think that he's going to be able to hold up defensively in a starting role anytime soon and maybe never in the nba but i do think he could be a quality option i think he could be a, a good bench type of player for you but you know maybe the statistical translations love him also i think kp had him you know 
pretty high up just in the stats only you know i think he might have been top five in the stats only i mean you know he's putting up 60 percent true shooting against men with a, a nice usage rate 25 yeah. usage yeah and 31 percent on four threes a game i mean if you took out the worst of his shots i think that would go up and it, you certainly would take out the worst yeah. of his shots and in the he's NBA. an 80 percent free throw shooter and, I, I think he's gonna get to be yeah. you know maybe not a 40 percent i think so too. Shooter, but i think he could be you know a solid option that you really need to respect out there and in the if if he gets that point and i expect that he will then his handle becomes useful because he can attack closeouts and and create he gets a little bit too much tunnel vision on drives but you see that a lot with guys who are as young as he is he turned 19 about a month ago so you know going against men sometimes you get in that you know you're driving to the basket and also because europeans get a lot more foul calls in those circumstances you know there's less of an incentive to pass the ball see i like i liked musa i thought he was interesting and if i had i so i wrote a piece for real gm which will come out on wednesday about different parts of defense and one of the things i talked about was functional size and i i didn't use musa i didn't use rodney hood either but i could have where it's like oh yeah he's six foot nine has a six foot nine wingspan about about that i don't think we got official measurements because he was still uh, no, it's but, it's six eighty. we got measured at the the euro camp in 2017 okay and but you wouldn't know that really by watching him play on either end of the floor you know he'll be moves and plays more like a six foot six guy which is fine but you know as you said you're not going to have him guard the other teams starting three maybe on second units where a lot of teams just there's so little depth at that position where yeah. teams are just often throwing out a second two guard because they don't have another three you could probably make it work there yeah i mean it, he also blocked at six eight blocked 15 shots and 70 <laughs> over 1600 minutes so that's uh not too encouraging uh all right let's do a quick read then we got a couple more to get to here still dollar shave club isn't merely about shaving anymore they deliver everything you need to look feel and smell your best nothing is worse than having to go to the store when you realize you're out of toothpaste or you're out of shampoo or conditioner or even that you're out of butt wipes as well which uh you should probably be using this, by the way. Once, uh, I'll put it this way. Once you start, you will not want to go back. So they can send you all that stuff, and they're made with top-shelf ingredients, and it's not going to break your budget. Shipping is free with your membership. And they offer this daily essential starter set now as a great way to try a bunch of their products. And once you're getting all this sh stuff shipped to you, you realize that it's going to save you a bunch of trips to the grocery store or the drugstore. This daily essential starter set comes with body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, which is the uh, aforementioned rear wipes, their world famous shave butter, and their best razor, which is the six blade executive. So you keep those blades coming for a few more bucks a month and you can add in shampoo, toothpaste, anything else you need, but just give their stuff a try. I think you'll really be impressed by it. Dollarshaveclub.com slash capspace is that URL slash capspace. Easy to remember. Talk about it all the time on the program here, especially around this time of year. Once again, that's dollarshaveclub.com slash capspace. Let them know that you came from us with that slash capspace URL. All right, your turn to pick here. Let's go with Colin Sexton, point guard out of Alabama, somebody we saw at the 2017 Hoop Summit and certainly had a, a, a big role at Alabama playing under Avery Johnson usage rate of 33% true shooting 57% and for me with Sexton I think what was most surprising because I remember this going back to when we saw him at the Hoop Summit where he's a very intense guy I mean the three on five game is, is something that's used a lot for it and he's he's physically talented quick you know six seven wingspan despite being about six two in shoes but you don't see that aggressiveness that competitiveness defensively he just looked like a guy defensively to me and that was bothersome you know it's interesting actually because schmitz's video talked about his ability to get into the ball and i think he can do that 
at times but you would hope that a guy like him would be able to get more steals than he does you'd also hope that he'd be able to finish around the rim a little better now you mentioned that 33 percent usage which is quite large uh around the basket on uh synergies conception and he got 123 shots at the basket which is outstanding but only 120 points on those now he's getting fouled some too but 58 out of 123 around the rim i mean that is not a fantastic percentage to say the least and it, they didn't strike me as a team that just had like no spacing at all I, I wasn't quite as familiar with their personnel as maybe some of the other college teams but it didn't seem like it, you know they had some other guys who could dribble and shoot on this team uh i think that the biggest thing that you know i don't think he has an amazing basketball iq but I, you know it's not bad certainly and despite just the, kind of that competitive 33% usage, you know, people talked about how he kind of modeled his game after Russell Westbrook, n- nowhere near that type of an athlete, although a solid athlete, a guy who I think can improve his finishing in time. doesn't really stand out in any one particular way, but I think he doesn't have any massive weaknesses either. I mean, I, maybe you could say he's not the greatest passer, but I think he's like good enough in that area. You know, it's not like it's a huge liability. So I, like, I think he could be a solid starting point guard. I think he can run pick and roll for you you know you're not going to just be able to go under him completely he can at least make a two-point jumper maybe if not an nba3 right away and he was able to hit those two-point jumpers pretty well what do you think about that or or did you see any bigger weaknesses from him offensively than uh than i did necessarily i don't love his court vision or his passing you know there weren't many times where i saw him like passing a guy open he had a couple my favorite play actually that sexton had in all of the film i watched was one where he threw an he threw an over the head pass to a guy above the break and then filled to the corner for his own three, which is like okay, that's a, that's a good recognition play. You know, he made the right pass, then saw where the opening was and got out there. He ended up missing the three, but still, it's process over results here. And I I so I he's one of these players that happen in every draft where I understand the theory of him and like that he could end up being better. I remember at certain at some point somebody threw the name Mike Connolly at me, and that's not necessarily saying like oh he's as good as Connolly was at Ohio State or he will be as good as Connolly ended up at Memphis. But players like this sometimes take a little while to figure it all out to to find their place. But I just don't love the building blocks as much as I I kind of thought I might. And so there's uh, there certainly is for me. I wouldn't say it's a definite that he's a starter in the league. I think he certainly could be, and it's a reasonable outcome for him. But I could easily see it just not working quite as well, and him being kind of on that. You know, we when we did the point guard rankings from 25 to 45 was just kind of a mess. You know, not not that those guys are bad. I mean, there are a lot of players in that that we really like, but it gets hard to pay them. They're hard to value. You know, do you draft another point guard if you have somebody in that range? Do you sign somebody? But as long as you're not taking him in like the top 10, okay, that's the, you, you adding another guy to that mix because one of the Danny LaRue chestnuts on dunked on is not having quality point guard play can absolutely yeah. kill your team. So, so there's value, there's certainly value there. I think he does have the potential to be solid on both ends. And you, you mentioned that there are some inconsistencies in effort, but you know, he can get competitive. He can get in the ball a little bit. Maybe that could get better if he's not asked to play as large of a role. And those type of players are valuable players you know the if you're if he actually can be just average on both ends you know you're talking about a starting point guard you're talking about a guy who's between the 15th and 20th best point guard in the league probably if you, if it's a guy who and again you know i think like his jump shot for a 19 year old point guard who's pretty athletic he's not a nuclear athlete but he's a a very solid one uh you know can get up for some dunks when, when he's in space he won the dunk contest at the mentalis game i mean not really a guy who in games is going to dunk it the way like a westbrook would he's he's again not 
that type of size that type of athlete maybe no one in NBA history has been that type of an athlete at the point guard position and he's able to create shots with that two-point jumper the jumper it's a little bit mechanical looking you know he's just a kind of very stiff with his left hand you know it's not really an easy ball as schmitz would say though sadly that's kind of fallen out of the lexicon a little bit this year but uh i think he he can get to spots and he can rise up okay and you know i think he can become an adequate spot up shooter from three in time you know he looked all right with those didn't get a ton of those opportunities at alabama but he looked comfortable with those shots and then his finishing he was going into traffic a lot of times i didn't think he was making the best decisions you know he's not a guy who is going to probe with the dribble and try to find a seam and pass the zone he can hit the roll man okay at times can hit dump offs okay at times but only 3.6 assists which is not outstanding obviously for a, a point guard prospect his finishing i think his right leg is just way stronger than his left because he really likes jumping off his right leg even on right-handed finishes going to the rim and he also would kind of stop for two footers he's got a decent floater game but would kind of stop try to go into guy's chest and just have to throw something up and and he would try some crazy reverse layups and sometimes they go in other times they wouldn't necessarily you know not a crap load of craft as a finisher at this point in time and his handle is again solid not just ridiculous but especially given his physical gifts it is decent enough so i I think he has the possibility to be a solid player and do you see any way that he could become a big star it would take a lot I mean, would take, I think his handle would have to get better. He does have some nice moments there. Like he, he spun through a double team when Texas A&M was trying to pressure him in the backcourt. I was sitting there like, most guys wouldn't even try that, much less succeed. He had another nice split of a double that I really liked. But he doesn't have a lot of those wow plays. And he, he's more kind of functional to me than, than a star. If he plays a lot better defensively, like if he gets into guys more often, becomes significantly above average there but i don't see the the vision or the scoring to really take him to that level but i do like like as you said when he's engaged like uh, in in the game against oklahoma when trey young was on him especially in the second half he would he was going after trey young a lot and he was succeeding young had dealt with some foul trouble earlier in that game and trey young is also not a good defender you like it when a guy can go after the mismatch there will be substantially fewer of those for colin sexton in the nba but yeah, there, there's stuff to like, but I think, yeah, you're right. The superstar potential for me with him is pretty low. It is not non-existent, but it is very low. And the 34% from three, given the type of attempts that he was taking off the dribble, you know, that's a, a pretty good percentage. Oh, and that was the other thing I wanted to ask you. So he got to the line seven and a half times a game at Alabama, which is an absolute ton, made 78% of those. I see that toning down at least a little bit, also just because his usage rate was sky high and they'll be distributing to more guys. But, you know, I think that might be another way that he could if that foul drawing is a little bit is more real than i think it might be and not then that would really help him too. yeah i mean he definitely is a guy who will throw his body in there at the room he, he was uh 58 free throw you know i mean the free throw attempt to field goal attempt ratio and while that is going to reduce some you know i i think he can still be a guy who draws some fouls so like i mean i think he's a totally reasonable pick in most drafts maybe starting around eight or nine i mean i i I haven't watched uh, Shy Gilgis Alexander yet. Not sure which of the two I would I would like better. You know, I don't think he could be a, a superstar either, but I think he can be you know a quality offensive option. I mean, you could see him getting up to the kind of the level of like, oh, all right, we're almost done here. Uh, getting up to the level of like not the, the exact same type of game, but like offensively, like a Jeff Teague and Eric Bledsoe type of point guard. You know, like I, you could see him reaching that level if it all breaks right. I, 
Uh, probably a better shooter than either of those guys coming out of school, but not quite as quick as those guys. All right, we got one guy left here, uh, Mikhail Bridges out of Villanova. Where do you want to start with him? So Bridges is, is fascinating to me because he has, uh, as a third-year player, playing at Villanova, won two championships in those three seasons. Mike go, oh, he's a late bloomer, you know, part of a championship team. I will note at the beginning of this that Villanova's offense looks substantially more competent than damn near every other college team i watched during all these all this footage but i really really like mikhail bridges he to me is i don't see as much of the superstar upside you know kind of this i especially on the offensive end just he he can certainly be more of a functional piece but players even though he's a little bit shorter he's six six has a seven one wingspan I, I think the last measurements i saw in him were 2016 so he might even be a little bit bigger than that but players who can compete on both ends of the floor can be capable with the ball in their hands, can hit three-pointers, even if it's not at the ridiculous rate he hit him this past year. Those guys are incredibly valuable in the league. I liked him a lot better offensively than I was expecting to. Defensively, I have some concerns about him being able to guard the other team's best wing. And, you know, we've talked about this many times. How many of those guys actually exist in 15, 20, you know, that you're really comfortable there? But I want to start with some comparisons of who I think, a list of guys that I think he's most like in the NBA defense. Because he's a little thin, right? He has that 7-1 wingspan, which is good. He can block some shots, which is nice. But he's probably only about a buck 90 right now and it doesn't another guy who you don't expect to put on weight i think he's going to end up being pretty thin so here's some guys that i think are, are kind of similar to him from a defensive perspective nick batum you know kind of similar I, I think he's better will be better than nick batum who, who is one of the more overrated defensive players in the nba for a long time really struggles to get down into a stance and move his feet and isn't the most intense guy but you know, kind of similar build to him damari carroll uh, I would say maybe that Bridges' feet are not quite as quick as Damari Carroll. That's one of the things that I didn't care for as much about him. Again, Trevor Ariza. Ariza, to me, is, especially when Younger is a little bit better of an athlete, although Bridges is a very solid athlete, and just a little bit more intense, a little quicker feet, a little bit easier for him to get into the ball. Kelly Oubre, and it's kind of similar build. Oubre is the 7'2 wingspan, but I would, and I think that Bridges is a much better shot blocker and team defender than Oubre. Uh, but I don't think Bridges has the feet quite to like chase ones around screens necessarily the way Uber does. Uber is kind of better as a one-two defender, you know, a little light in the shorts for the three. But you know, I think Bridges is as well. And then probably the guy I would say the closest is Otto Porter, another guy who is a good team defender, gets some steals, he'll get some blocks from the weak side, but also is just not really someone who's has the ability to make his mark uncomfortable defensively in a one-on one game and so that that is my biggest concern about bridges that doesn't mean that he shouldn't necessarily be picked right about where he's talking where they're talking about him uh because even having a guy who is a solid defender and can do some stuff offensively which i feel pretty good that he's going to be able to do is a valuable player but if he's going to be your number one one one-on-one option on the wing i think you're going to be looking for another one and that he's going to be at best adequate in that role against guys who really have strength yeah one way of thinking about this and incidentally it's a team that could end up drafting him i was thinking about bridges on the sixers and you probably wouldn't put him on the other teams his base assignment would not be on the other team's best guy probably give that to covington maybe to somebody else but i think you do a pretty good job and maybe even a great job on the second best guy and if you're drafting him to be the 
the LeBron stopper, the Kawhi stopper, then you're going to be disappointed. But a team that drafts him saying, okay, he can be a piece. He's a little bit more versatile. You can make that work. It's something I really, uh, this is always a good sign for me. And another example of this was, was Frank Nokina, where I started with Bridges watching his offensive film and he had two highlight blocks in his offensive film huh. where he like they were plays that were started by it and it's like okay this is a good side and bridges is better in those kind of elements where he can where he can use his length he's not really a a swallow up a guy or a shutdown corner but he can react well he can like i was shocked at how good a job he did on ones which was very interesting oh, yeah, yeah. See, I, granted I, Paul, I didn't think that he necessarily would be quick enough there but uh you know obviously we didn't but watch I, I all the same he'd... film so yeah, he did better than I expected. Maybe that's the issue as it relates to expectations. Like, I don't think he should guard once full time, but you know, I thought it, he he held his own decently well, and he's long enough that he could make he could make life a little hard. I didn't think he made too many mistakes. Certain times he got beat because those guys are faster than he is. But I I, I just I think he's fine. But if if it's the the selling point on Bridges is that he's a stopper, then that is a bad selling point. But let's get to the well, offense. Well, I think actually, the offense is very let, interesting. Let me finish with the defense, too. I, I had a few more notes I, I sure. wanted to get to there. Um, and I do want to talk about his offense, so we've got about five minutes left here. Because um, I think I, I want to be very clear on why it is that I don't, I'm not as high in his defense. Um, I mentioned the strength. I think a lot of times in isolations, especially against quicker guys, you know, I thought he got wrong-footed where he just wasn't able to really get a hand up on the jumper. Yep, I had that note, too. Um, I recall a few times where, you know, I and mean, when you really see the best defenders, a guy will try and make a move, and the guy is so quick that he just gets his chest in front of him and just totally stones him. And, and we didn't really see that with Bridges. He was able to stay with guys and maybe even contest them at the rim with his length but he's not like moving his feet so quickly that he's just like cutting guys off and making them change direction you know i didn't see that. i thought you know, he was also i thought was pretty vulnerable to crossovers now 1.3 blocks and 1.9 steals per 40 that's very good numbers uh, um his closeouts are good i think that he when he gets going in one direction he can really cover ground quickly it's the change of direction uh that's difficult but you know and he competes obviously you know plays hard well coached so the closeouts look pretty good for him and he has that length to contest as well in the post you know if he's not going to get overpowered he actually can really surprise guys he got a lot of block shots when guys would try to post him up and then go to like a fadeaway or something and he'd say uh no no you're not doing that to me uh i thought that he wasn't great as a ball screen defender in conventional pick and roll defense i thought that he got wrong footed a lot on screens when it wouldn't force the guy to use the screen he would reject it and could blow by him again when he's he is not able to change direction that quickly and then because he doesn't have the absolute quickest feet he's got to play off a guy's far and he plans to use his length but that could be a problem getting over screens because the way you get over screens is you get into the ball and you create space basically between the ball handler and the guy setting the screen to get over it so if you're playing too far off, you're not going to be able to do that. Or you have to jump into the guy and then he's able to blow by you anyway. So those are some of the things. I thought he also did a nice job of denying out on the floor with his length at times too. So, I mean, he plays hard. He's got some tools, but I'm not, I can't think of a position that he's just going to be like an absolute shutdown guy at at the NBA level. Could prove me wrong, but I think if his feet get quicker, then I could be proven wrong. I mean, evaluating defense is difficult. Guys can certainly improve. But again, I, I was not like blown away by his defense. It was more kind of solid with, you know, some good plays here and there. Um, but all right, now we can talk about his offense. I, I took all those notes. I wanted to get him out. There. Oh no, I want to say a quick. I want to say a quick thing there. He needs to. You talked a lot about it being on ball, but also he needs to be cover, closer to his cover off ball. 
and uh, sell out harder on closeouts. Like he, he, I think that's just coaching and getting into him a little bit more on it, but he, he needs to be better there, and I think he will be better there. The first time I saw him shoot from three, I was like, what is this for? I'm like, he's shooting off the left side of his body. He brings it up way in front of his body too. But despite that, I was like, this guy's not going to have a versatile jumper. He's just going to be, you know, shoot open threes. Au contrary, his jumper looked pretty damn good and had a lot of versatility. It did. And there were a couple times he didn't always have this opportunity, but he had solid pick and pop footwork, which was interesting. Like there were a couple plays where I'm saying they're going, okay, you know, you can do that part of it. And he's more confident in his pull-up than I imagine, but just, just like no, thinking, okay, you know, bouncing between on ball and off ball, but it, it looks pretty good. You know, I, I don't think that's going to be a big part of his NBA game, but it's nice that he can have that arrow in his quiver when necessary. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the 43% from three on 239 attempts. Also a pretty solid finisher, 67% around the basket per synergy. He will blow some bunnies every once in a while, but he's a solid leaper off of two feet, uh, off of one foot as well. Uh, good cutter. He can uh, get up for some alley-oops or some occasional tip dunks as well. They'd run plays for alley-oops for him. Uh, if he gets going back door, he can get a dunk as well. Uh, pick and roll play, you know, not unbelievable, but 60 points on 61 possessions. He can get the guy on his hip and change speeds a little bit, kind of like we were talking about with Knox. But you know, and then if he gets going towards the basket off of one foot, he can get some nice finishes there. Uh, he also can get into the post on occasion, and he's got good extension as a finisher using that length, finishing off of one foot around the defense was solid. You know, is he going to be? isolating against guys probably not you know maybe he can run a pick and roll on the backside i think he's a guy you could probably switch pretty easily at the nba level uh even with guys who are a little bit bigger and you know he's not going to just put him in the mix and get right to the rim without having some kind of an advantage when he catches the ball but I, I do think that especially as good as the jump shot has looked now worth noting he's me 22 in august so we're, we're looking at a guy who's more fully formed here uh and he also also worth noting that he took a big big leap forward this year which is not great from a statistical translation i mean he averaged 17.7 points this year after never averaging double figures before that the usage rate shot way up you know, not a guy who gets to the foul line a lot but he does shoot it pretty well from the foul line and he was he was 91 percent last year and 85 percent this year so that's more reason to think that the jumper will be good and so I, you know i think he could be a, a guy in the nba who's more than just a three and d guy offensively can go to the rim can finish and has a more versatile jump shot than just throw it to me when I'm wide open for a spot off, you know, can come off of screens, can shoot the ball on them. You mentioned it with Bridges cutting, but I also think that he does a lot of kind of other little things that make life easier on his teammate offensively. So that, for example, on one play, he had a driver on the opposite end of the floor that was that was going in and he moved to get into a better passing window. And so he ended up missing that three, but it's a, a play that a lot of guys don't make. Bridges doesn't make many wow passes, but makes the right play pretty often, which is you know, about what you would expect for a guy who's probably not going to have the ball in his hands a ton. And he did have one nice one I liked to the opposite corner out of a pick and roll where he just saw that play. So I I, I liked him as kind of a, a smaller cog in a bigger machine offensively. I think he can do pretty well there. All right, that'll do it for today. We'll be back with some of the other guys tomorrow. And we also got to do our big board tomorrow night. And then the draft will be upon us so less than 48 hours away now. I want to thank Candid for sponsoring today's program. With Candid, the process of straightening your teeth is convenient and easy. You get customized clear aligners sent directly to your home. They cost 65% less 
than braces and they have a network of highly trained orthodontists to review each and every case and direct the entire aligner plan for you their customer service is great they'll even get on a video call with you help you out with anything that you need make sure you use my dedicated link candidco candidco.com slash catspace that'll save you 25 dollars on your modeling kit which is what they use to create the aligners for you that's candidco.com candidco.com dot com slash cap space to get 25 percent off the price of your modeling kit candidco.com slash cap space 